We're in part two today of a series we're calling Praying Like Jesus, and we're talking about prayer. And I hope today helps to grow our prayer life, helps to deepen our relationship with God. Um, our mission at Faith Community is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Prayer is a huge part of that growing relationship. But honestly, it's something we probably don't talk about um, enough. We definitely don't do enough uh, teaching on it. Uh, it's something that we want to put into practice uh, more around here in our church settings. So, and we're talking about it in, as a communal experience. We're talking about it as an individual experience in your own solitude. So in this series, we're simply going back to some teaching that we did a few years ago. And we've decided to teach on this now because we're in the process of launching a new prayer ministry here at Faith Community, a team of people who will be available to pray with you during our Sunday gatherings. Um, like as a part of our experience uh, together, as a part of our services, as well as like during the service, after the service, through the week. Um, and as part of that, we're going to create some elements within our, our services for you, to, for you to pray with each other uh, or even to pray in solitude while we're together. I know. And then in addition to that, we're setting aside some physical space uh, where we can just designate that for prayer with one another or prayer in solitude. So, as part of launching this new team, um, it was suggested that we go back and revisit some teaching that we did a while back. And so if this is familiar to you, I hope you'll try to approach it and process it uh, with an open mind. And if, this, uh, if it's new to you, I hope you'll find it helpful. Uh, for all of us, I hope we'll find deeper meaning in, in a richer experience in our prayer, in our prayer life, and that it will contribute to a growing relationship with Jesus. So as the basis for this teaching, we're working through what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And so this week I decided, I guess some guy's going to help me pass out some things. So come and get these guys if you would. Um, I decided to print some bookmarks and uh, because I know that not, there's some guys right there to help you too. Not everybody is as familiar with the Lord's Prayer as others are, so I realize some of you memorized it as part of your church tradition or maybe even your school experience, but not, some, not, that's not true for everybody, and not everybody even knows where to find it in the Bible, so I just want you to have this as a quick reference, because um, sometimes we just need a little reminder, okay? We said last week that prayer is a universal thing. All right. At some point, probably everybody in this room has prayed. You've prayed some kind of prayer. We said that last week, that while almost everybody prays, almost everybody has been frustrated with prayer because you wonder if God's even listening. You wonder if God's ever going to grant your request. So prayer has been a challenge, I think, probably for all of us, even for those of us who've been Christians for a long time, for those of us who are churchy insiders, you know, and that's been our whole experience. We experience those frustrations with prayer too. But the temptation we talked about last week, is that we tend to think of prayer as a button to be pushed. We think of it as a button to be pushed. If we've got something to pray about, you push the button. If you push the button hard enough or often enough or well enough, or if you get enough people to push the button, or you get enough people who know how to push the button to pu just push the prayer button and push it as often as possible, God will eventually do what you're asking him to do. And we fall into that kind of thinking. And the challenge with that, of course, is that's a very shallow understanding of prayer. And a lot of us have prayed and we just get frustrated with prayer because we've been trying to push the button. 
And God doesn't seem to be paying attention. He doesn't seem to be responding to that. And maybe for some of you, that's why you quit praying. Or maybe for some of you, it explains why you've never bothered praying. Or maybe the reason you don't pray is because you have a fairly successful, wrinkle-free life. Life's pretty good. You got some money in the bank. The job's going well. Everybody's healthy. The marriage is good. As a result, there's not a lot that you need. So you don't really have a need to push the button. So you're not really praying. But you know that someday when you need something, you will pray because you see prayer as a button to be pushed. And that can explain why maybe you pray a lot or maybe you hardly pray at all. But if we can begin to understand prayer as God intended it to be, we'll come to realize that prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's, it's a relationship to be pursued. In the same way that some of us are pursuing God, the big surprise maybe in all of this is that God is actually pursuing us. And that may be a surprise to you, depending on kind of your worldview or your church tradition. Maybe we thought we were pursuing God, but you know, Christianity is the only belief system in the world that says that God is pursuing us, that God knows you by name, that he cares about you, that he loves you, that he wants a relationship with you. So we're kind of drilling down a little bit into what, you know, for many of us is very familiar, but, and what for some of us could easily become some kind of like formula for prayer, but we want to go a lot deeper than that. So we're, going to work through, we're working through the Lord's Prayer line by line. And I hope what happens is that every time we break down another line that it brings fresh life and maybe even brand new meaning for you and breathes some new life into your prayer life. So last week we looked at the first couple lines of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, or, or we recognize that you are holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we saw that Jesus begins the prayer not by focusing on himself, or by, but by focusing on God, and that one of the objects was of prayer, you know, or one of the, you know, the objectives of prayer is to orient our eyes away from ourselves, because my thoughts naturally go to me, and my needs, and my wants, and my problems, and, and instead, Jesus says, to orient them first toward God. But I get fixated on my story. I'm naturally oriented toward my story, my deal, whatever I got going on. And, and, and that's how I'm naturally oriented. And you probably, maybe if you don't want to admit it, but if you would, it's probably true for you too. I think we're all a little more selfish, even in our prayers, than we want to be. But in teaching us to pray, Jesus says from the very beginning, I want you to focus on someone Someone who is way bigger than you, bigger than your needs, bigger than your problems. And in teaching us this concept, he introduced us to this battle. This battle we talked about last week, this battle between two kingdoms. The battle between God's kingdom and our kingdom, my kingdom. So if we really just want to uh, get, maybe you were here last week and you came today because you wanted to get to the part about prayer can be frustrating and you, got, you, know, you, and you really want to get into that, just, just, just so you know where we're going. Come back in a couple weeks. Uh, we're going to get there eventually. Uh, we're going to address the frustration and we're going to talk about why sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to answer our prayers. But today, because we're working through this line by line, today we're going to look at these two short lines. Here they are. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. 
the part, this is kind of the part of the prayer that we instinctively go to, and you could call it a list if you wanted to, okay? Because, like, you have a list, right? And this is sort of the, the prayer, the part of the prayer that is an invitation to bring your list of things to God. So even if you haven't been around church very much or for very long, you've figured from listening to other church people that you can have, like, a list, a prayer list, a prayer kind of a shopping list when you pray. Sometimes there are things that you want because like you don't have a job or you don't like the job you have, so you put that on your prayer list. Or maybe you don't have a spouse <clears throat> or you don't like the spouse that you have, so you put that on your, your prayer list. It's kind of like the shopping part of the prayer. And the invitation here is the invitation to pray through the list. The closest we ever get to it in the Lord's Prayer is this, is verse 11, give us today our daily bread. So it's like God is inviting us to go shopping. He's inviting us to make a list and bring it to him. And on that list, we can talk about the things that we really need and we would like to think what we really want. And that's great because that's how most of us naturally approach prayer is with our list. Because we don't pray oftentimes until we have a need, right? You know, all of a sudden things aren't going so well financially. Things aren't going so well relationally. You can't see a way forward. I need to pray and I need people to pray with me. We have an outdoor event scheduled for next Saturday, and the long-range forecast says rain, but you're going to put that on your list and get everybody praying, and God's going to change how weather works just for you. So we really need to pray about that. And we tend to just come to God with our list. Like, God, I, I, need, you to, I need some stuff. I need you to do some stuff for me. Uh, I need you to... I, got, I mean, it's not a lot. I think you can handle it. You're a big God, so here's my list of stuff, and there's some stuff here that I could probably do something about, but I really, really appreciate it if you would just do it for me. That would be great. That'd be better, easier for me. I got things to do, but this would be, so that would be great, God, if you just take care of this stuff for me, and if you do it for me, oh, dear God, if you do this for me, I'll put an extra five in the box next time I'm in church, so, and I'll sing really loud, and I might even smile, so thank you, God, for all that. So I don't know how many of us have treated prayer this way in the past, right? Not everyone, not all Christians, okay? But we tend to look at prayer and look at this part of the prayer as an opportunity to ask God for what we want. Let me pass my finals. Let me get into this school. Let me get this job. Let this relationship go well. Let me get this new car. Let us be pregnant. Let us not be pregnant. Some of you prayed that. It's like, what do I, what do I want? And we say, God, give us today our daily bread. But we don't really, we, we, we don't want just bread. Like, we don't want plain old generic white bread, right? We want, at the very least, the artisan loaf, right? Or better yet, give us today our dessert. That's what we pray, right? Because I just need a new phone, God, a better phone. I mean, my Bible app would work so much better on a new phone, I could commune with you so much better. I could hear from you more clearly with the new phone because my phone is so old. It's like eight months old, God. And you know, you can't speak through this phone. So I really just, we just want our daily dessert, right? And, and I know it isn't always that trivial. I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit, but we want what we want. And sometimes we get very specific about what we want. And, it, and you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous that we treat prayer this way because we want a better this or newer that, a top grade something else. So let's just be honest. Sometimes we pray for ridiculous things. And we read this verse, give us today our daily bread, to mean that I can pray for what I want. So what do I really want? But if you look at what the text actually says, I think you'll find it will rein in our praying through our wish list 
Because the text doesn't say, give us today our daily dessert. It doesn't say, give me this year's newest model. It doesn't say, this job is okay, God, but this is the job I want. It doesn't say, give me this, because it'll make me happy. It doesn't say, give me all that I want at all. Jesus was teaching this 2,000 years ago. The way he phrased it was, give us today our daily bread. Give us today. So I think he's teaching us to just pray about today. When I pray through my list, I'm praying about tomorrow. I'm praying about next month. I want enough for this, enough for that. I want to be able to do these things, have these things. Like retirement would be great. This, is, this really is a trust issue. Because we tend to define God, to find trust as, you know, God, you need to give me uh, enough so that I don't have to worry for a while. That's how we tend to define trust. Give me a good enough job, a secure enough job, a healthy enough relationship, a good enough, a good enough health that I don't need to worry for a while. That's not trust, and that's not really even present in this prayer. But this phrase is the the closest thing to pray for what you want that's in this prayer, and that's not even what it says. So if we're looking for, like, shopping list, this is as close as it gets, but it's probably not saying what we think it's saying. Give us today our daily bread. So give us today, not for the next 20 years, you know, so you never have to think about it again, so you never have to be concerned, so you're like all set. He's like, no, just, I just want you to trust me today. There may be exceptions in this room, but I'm just going to take a wild guess that most of us in this room have enough food to get through today, right? You probably have enough food to get through today and probably enough to get through tomorrow, you might even have enough to get through the week. And if you don't have enough in your pantry or in your fridge right now, you probably know that there's more coming in. Jesus lived in a day where literally it was give us today our daily bread, where people didn't know when they would eat their next meal or where their next meal would come from. You read the stories of Jesus, and he talks about day laborers, and a day laborer is someone who doesn't have a job to go to tomorrow. They're just going to hopefully get to work today and get paid today, because if they don't get paid today, they don't eat today. This isn't about falling behind on your cable bill, or your internet bill, or your second or third car payment, or your four-wheeler payment, or your Christmas club payment. This is about you don't eat. Give us today our daily bread, but we want the dessert. And it's like Jesus is changing the question because we ask, what do I want? And Jesus is like, there's another question you should be asking. There's another question you should start. Instead of what do I want, why don't you just simply ask, what do I need? Listen, today. What do I need today? Well, I know what I'm going to need like by Friday. No, what do you need today? And it's like, that is really boring. That's a short list. Give us today our daily bread today. And for some of you, that might be a very real prayer. But for most of us, uh, we're all set on that. We show up with our list and our shopping cart, and it comes down to, like, what do I need? I got so much more than I need. And then Jesus, because he's teaching us how to pray, doesn't leave it there. He 
rarely does. He says, here's the deal. Like, you guys show up to prayer and you approach God with one list. Well, your Heavenly Father has a couple lists of His own. In fact, I'm going to move you from one list to like three lists. And He kind of surprises us because He shows up with a couple things that we probably aren't expecting. And we're like, but I was comfortable with my list. I was okay with having my prayer list. And I pray through the whole thing like every day. And it's all needs, of course. But I really believe that I really believe that's a need. I was okay with my list, and now you just blew up my list. This isn't cool, Jesus. But this is this is what Jesus says. He says, after you pray through your needs, your needs for today. And it's weird because he kind of touches on this and he kind of skirts around the needs thing, and then he's on to the next part of the prayer. And he's like, I know you want to talk about your list and your needs and you know your wants, and how do we know the difference between that and what filter do we apply? And we're going to talk about this uh, before the end of the series. But for today, Jesus moves on to the next part of the prayer, and that's what we're going to do. Verse 12, verse 11, then 12. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins. <laughs> it's like, where did this come from? Like, out of the blue. Like, I was still praying about my, I got the bread covered, I'm on to dessert, and all of a sudden, forgive us our sins. It's like Jesus is saying, you've got a list, you've got a lot of stuff that like, you want, but your Heavenly Father kind of has a list too, and it looks like this. Where do I need forgiveness? That's a whole other list. Where do I need forgiveness? And Jesus is reminding us that there are areas of our lives where we need to be forgiven. And this is the part we don't like to spend a lot of time on because maybe we have to confront our own sin. Those areas of our lives, those actions, those thoughts, those inactions for that matter, where we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness from God and we need forgiveness from people. And I know this is really hard when you put the mirror on yourself But for some of you, maybe your story looks like this, that you've been in church a long time, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, um, and and, and maybe, maybe you would have been a Christian a long time ago if someone in your life had asked for forgiveness, you know, when they'd wronged you. I get that. If someone in your life, if some Christian or some church leader maybe in your life had actually sat down and acknowledged how they wronged you and asked for forgiveness, you might maybe would have been all in a long time ago. But you're sick of the, you got sick of the phony church thing and you were sick of the people who said one thing and did another. And if someone had just done the hard work of asking for your forgiveness, that would have gone a long way in bringing you into a relationship with God. Maybe that's part of your story. I think perhaps one of the crises of modern prayer is that we don't ask for forgiveness enough. Like we're such a self-affirming culture, right? Everybody's awesome. Sure, you are. You're awesome. But we're all broken. But we're so, so like defensive that we won't even pray prayers of forgiveness. And when we do, sometimes it's so vague. Like maybe you've prayed this, like, God, if I have sinned, (laughs) wow, okay. If I have sinned in some way, if it's even possible that I have somehow fallen short, because I'm so much like Jesus, so if it's even possible, I don't know if it's possible, I may have sinned today, can't think of specifically what that is, but if it's even possible, forgive me, I guess, my bad, sorry, God. I think Jesus is calling us to get really specific. Where do I need forgiveness? 
Where will I allow God and, listen, others access to look into my life enough that they see me as I am, can see through the cracks, and can see the problems inside? Because here's what we're going to be tempted to do. We're going to be tempted to get into this forgiveness part of the prayer, and we're going to it's really easy to talk about, to go to God and talk about the sin in someone else's life. And like, we'll even confess their sins for them just to kind of take care of that for them. We'll confess our husband's sin, your wife's sin, your kid's sin. That's a long list. And then your boss's sin. And it's like, Lord, when they do that, it just drives me crazy. Please forgive them for being such jerks. But this is, this is about me and you. Like, when was the last time that you prayed a prayer of confession? Listen, you're like, I don't know how, I don't like how that makes me feel. This is not about making you feel guilty. This is not about, not about making you feel bad about yourself. The goal of confession is to help you, to bring you to the place where you understand your Heavenly Father loves you. He sent His Son Jesus to die for you so that you could live in forgiveness. Forgiveness is offered in the name and work of Jesus, and our Heavenly Father did that for us. He offers that to you and to me. So in light of that, where do I need forgiveness? Where do you need forgiveness? For some of us, that's a brand new category. And maybe, maybe you honestly try to pray the Lord's Prayer this way and you get to this part and you're like, okay, God, now where do I need forgiveness? Hmm, can't think of anything. Been a, been a pretty awesome day. I'm pretty awesome generally, but I don't really know what to say about this today. Here's the thing. If you're not sure, ask someone who knows you well. I'm being serious. Like, ask someone who knows you well and will tell you. Ask someone who cares more about you as a friend than they do about your friendship. When you ask that question, the people in your inner circle, where you've cultivated that kind of relationship, the, police is, the, the people closest to you will fill you in on that. You won't always like what they have to say. And listen, if you don't have people in those inner circles who will answer this question for you, uh, You've you got to start doing the work. You've got to get those. You got to get those people in your life. You got to move people from here to here to here. You need truth tellers who love you. Here's one: ask someone you trust, "What's it like to be on the other side of me?" I've asked that question. That's a chapter in my book. It's a great confession question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? Because I know most of the time it's awesome, but sometimes it's awful. Where do, where do I need to grow? Where am I falling short? Because that's what sin is. It's missing the mark. And if you're really honest, if you've worked at learning the scripture at all, you know, you know, like you know when you've missed the mark. You know when things aren't quite the way they should be. You're like, yes, I know the scripture well enough to know. I don't need somebody telling me. No, I, I think we do. We, do. we sometimes do need the voices of the people in our lives to speak that kind of truth to us. And the scripture says that when we confess our sins, our Heavenly Father is faithful and just to forgive our sins. So I'm, ser- if you're, I'm just serious about this. If you're, if you're not sure about this one, if you get stumped here, ask someone, ask your spouse, ask your, you try this, ask your kids. What's it like to be on the other side of me? 
Ask your boyfriend. You want to put the relationship to the test? Ask your boyfriend. Ask your girlfriend. Ask your coworker. Ask your best friend. Ask those people in your inner circle. I know this is like so like confidential and top secret in our like individualistic culture and it's hard to get this all put this all together but what if someone were to like see through the cracks of the veneer that I try to put up and what if someone were to see me as I really am uh you know like what what are you seeing and we resist it because we're like you know how hard I work at this image you know there was a time in church history when confessing was communal So about the time that you're longing for a church that's like the Acts 2 church, keep that in mind, okay? Christians would confess their sins to each other. We've lost that practice, but, so, but I'm just saying, ask someone who knows you, and don't be defensive about it, and, and just let them, let them give you an honest answer. And here's what I've learned. If you're always defensive, if you're always taking a defensive position, you don't grow, but if you'll take the truth as a gift, as it's intended, and you bring that before God and you confess your sin to him and to others and acknowledge your weakness and your failing, then amazing growth can start to happen. And maybe you've always thought of sin as the things that you do, uh, you know, that list of things you aren't supposed to do because you're a Christian and then you do them and so you've sinned. Let me just su- suggest a different perspective and and I think this could result in an entire like paradigm shift in how you relate to your heavenly father. Do you realize that sin isn't necessarily just something you do? It kind of goes to the core of who we are. Like there may be character flaws that we need to work on. Like things in our lives where God is saying, let me get a little bit closer there. Let me do a little surgery on your soul here. Let me, let me get closer because there's stuff. And I know we worked on some stuff like five years ago and that was great, but there's some new stuff. It, maybe it's revealed some new stuff. It's another layer of stuff and you know, it's come to the surface. It's been revealed by the stuff we worked on a while back. I think, I think that's what the New Testament calls sanctification, that process of being made holy. It involves a renewing of our minds and being remade by the Holy Spirit. And if we'll allow ourselves to stop focusing on the failings and shortcomings and weaknesses and sins of all the people around us, and we'll turn the light on ourselves, and we'll be honest about who we really are, that can be a terrifying experience, but a a liberating journey. I believe God intends for us to live in freedom. And I believe as Christians, we are forgiven, but so few of us ever really live in the freedom that that forgiveness provides because we've never really learned to confess. We've never learned to acknowledge and recognize and own our sin. And until we do, oh, we'll be forgiven, but we'll never truly experience the freedom that comes from being forgiven. So here's the thing. Our Heavenly Father doesn't invite us into his presence in prayer and he doesn't invite us to confess our sins so that he can condemn us so that he can make us feel guilty so he can make us feel bad about ourselves he invites us to this place so that he can forgive us so we can experience his forgiveness he can remake us and renew us 
So when we start to peel back the layers and you start to get honest with yourself and with others and you discover some things about yourself, maybe you'll discover that you're more jealous than you thought you were. Because you always kind of thought that maybe God didn't give you enough, certainly not as much as that other person over there. Maybe you realize you're a little more angry than you ever admitted. Maybe you know, people have been telling you you're angry for years and you're like, stop with the anger thing, I'm not angry. And anger, anger says... <laughs> Anger says, you owe me, she owes me, he owes me, God owes me, my boss owes me, my ex owes me, everybody owes me. But when you're honest in this process, you realize that you're angry, and you aren't just angry in situations, you're angry in general, and God, I believe, is going to call us to take a hard look at things like that. See, people who confess their sins grow, because God's asking us all the time, can I get a hold of your life? Can I get a hold of your soul? Will you invite me and let me in? Because when I do, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of this process. And we're going to work together to grow you. And I've had to learn this, is that, that, that if you're defensive, the people in your life won't tell you the truth. And you won't grow. Because unlike you, I'm naturally defensive. I'm not even talking, that wasn't even a statement about myself. We're all defensive. See, right there, you're proving it. I am not. How dare you tell me I'm defensive? I will have a conversation sometime. The most stagnant, let me talk about me again. The most stagnant times in my life have been when I'm defensive. When my defenses are up, when I've been resistant to the truth of the voices of the people in my life and I've had my explanations all ready to go and I've been in a defensive posture and when I'm defensive, I don't grow. That might be true for you. So, list number one is what do I need? List number two says where do I need forgiveness? And there's a third list and it's verse 12. As we forgive those who sin against us. So give us today our daily bread same sentence, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So list three is, who do I need to forgive? This is kind of the essence of where God wants to take us. And he would say, what about your boss? What about your former boss? What about your ex? What about your adult kids and their poor choices? What about your father? What about your mother? What about your friend who betrayed you? Who are you angry with? See, we show up with a list, right? And God's like, that's fine. We'll get, I'll listen to your list. Let's get all the things that you want. We'll set those aside. Tell me about what you need. We'll get to work on that. But I got my own list. And before we get to the list, let's remember, I think our father is saying, I forgave you. So this is important to Jesus. At the end of the Lord's, it's so important that at the end of the Lord's prayer in Matthew, he says there's a good chance that that maybe there's a part that you missed, the forgiveness part, because we're so focused on what do I need, what do I need, what do I need, and maybe a little bit of what I want, but let's just put it under need category. And Jesus says there's a whole other part that you probably missed, and it's who do I need to forgive? And he basically says if you will readily forgive the people who've wronged you, then you're on the right track. And if you won't, man, this is what he said. And it's really just if you don't forgive the people who've wronged you, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. And we're like, What? That doesn't sound like, uh, that can't be. 
Like, that doesn't sound like something I want to believe. That doesn't sound like something we can put into a song and sing. Because we like, just want to skip right over that part. But it's what it says, and I can't get past it. If you don't forgive those who've wronged you, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. And there's lots of room for theological debate and discussion on this. But what did Jesus mean? This is what we do. When Jesus says something hard, we're like, but what did he really mean? But at the very least, I think Jesus gives this instruction so that we are at the very least, so that we aren't guilty of hypocrisy when we come to God asking for his forgiveness, when we ourselves aren't willing to forgive. I'm not going to get into all the theological ramifications of what this actually means. If you do this, God will do this. And if you don't do this, God's going to withhold that. We'll talk about that another time. But at the very least... The hypocrisy of coming to God, asking him to forgive us when we aren't willing to forgive. It's interesting, the word that's used for forgive in, uh, here in Matthew 6 is the same word that we use in English for fin- with, that has financial implications. That's why in some versions of the Bible it says debts and debtors, whereas the translation I'm using today is sins. Uh, it, it's, like, it's like going to the bank and saying, I know we've got a big mortgage on our house, but we were thinking it'd be really nice if you would forgive that. That's the word. Would you forgive this mortgage on our house? And none of us would even like, have the audacity to try that, right? We just keep making the payments. But Jesus is making a point. I never thought I'd go ask tomorrow, see if that works, let me know. But Jesus is making a point here that we need to forgive. Listen, listen. We need to forgive even though it costs us something. And it will. Jesus says it's like forgiving alone. Yeah, they owe me. Well, if someone truly forgives, it's like, so, so what do I owe you now? Like, what's my balance? Well, you don't owe me anything. It's forgiven. And Jesus says, your heavenly Father forgave you, and it cost him something. So you forgive the people in your life who've wronged you, and it will cost you something. But you forgive them anyway. And you wipe the account clean, and the balance is zeroed out, and they don't owe you anything anymore. And yes, there was actually a wrong committed. And yes, they contributed to the demise of your relationship. And yes, their decisions led to the financial mess you're in. And yes, they made a mess of things for you and they took money from you and they did this to your reputation. But you forgive them just as your heavenly father has forgiven you because your forgiveness has cost God dearly. And it's hard because we like to approach prayer like Oh, hi, God. Good morning. Here's my list for today, God. You're paying attention. It kind of gets me through the week and through the month, and there's maybe a little bit of stuff for next year. That'd be great. Got lots going on today, lots of stuff that I really, really need. And God's like, that's fine. But I've got my list too. And I think when we come to God and he sees our list, our list of needs and maybe a few wants we snuck in there, I think he says, okay, let's get your needs met. And maybe not right away, but let's get started on this list. And that's good. I can handle that. So that's done. Now let's go here. Let's get to my list. Let's get to where do I need forgiveness and who do I need to forgive? And I know this might have totally wrecked prayer for you. Sorry about that, but please forgive me. But the prayers that you don't want to pray are often more important than the prayers we want to pray.
We'll get past the my kingdom, my kingdom, my kingdom, my kingdom. Here's what I want, God. Here's how I need you to roll it out for me. If we'll get, if we'll get past approaching prayer like it's a button to be pushed, if we'll spend some time, if we'll open our hearts, if we will embrace the prayers we don't want to pray, we will learn, we will grow, we will grow comfortable with that kind of transparency, and we'll grow in our intimacy and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So, how do I pray about my needs? I love how Tim Keller says this. I love this. I've quoted this before and I've used it before. And he says, pray this way. Lord, meet my material needs and give me material wealth. Amen? But there's a comma. But only as much as I can handle without harming my ability to put you first in my life. I love that. Give me enough for today. Maybe give me a little bit for tomorrow, I'll just be great. You know, all like for next year, that'd be good. But only give me as much, as much as I can handle. And this is different for all of us. This is why everything looks so different, right? When you look around, only as much as I can handle without harming my ability to put you first in my life. And Keller actually continues and he says, because ultimately I don't need status and comfort. I need you as my Lord. That's a good prayer. I think that's the kind of prayer that Jesus is inviting us to pray. So, what's the application? What can I do with this this week? I'd suggest we start by making three lists. Number one, what do I need? Number two, where do I need forgiveness? And number three, who do I need to forgive? If you'll do this, I think this will add substance to your prayer life. You might need to carve out a little more time might need to get up earlier, stay up later, turn off the TV for a little longer period, but might need to take a personal day, I don't know. <laughs> but Jesus knew that my need to forgive and your need to forgive would be as important as any of our needs. Thank you for listening today. Would you bow your heads with me? Just before I pray, I think I'd be missing an opportunity this morning if I didn't give you a chance to enter this a relationship with our Heavenly Father that we've been talking about and to experience the forgiveness that he offers. Maybe you've been coming here for a while and you've been considering this whole deal and you're starting to understand things that you've never understood before and you're beginning to realize that it's not about what I do, it's about what Jesus has done for me. So if you're here this morning and you're at that point, I want to give you a chance to have a moment in time. I want to give you a chance to kind of have a moment where you, make the, you just make it clear that you have made a decision to place all of your faith and all your trust in Christ's death on the cross as a payment for your sin. And I want to just lead you in a prayer. And this prayer doesn't make you a Christian. Prayer is just a way that we communicate to God and we express this decision to put our faith in Christ. So I want to lead you in this prayer. Let's bow our heads together and let's just kind of settle here for just a minute. You can pray this with me silently right where you are. You can change the words. You can use your own words. But say something like, Lord, I believe that I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus came to be my Savior. And I'm placing all of my trust in Jesus' death on the cross as the full payment for my sin. I'm not trusting in my background. I'm not trusting in my efforts. I'm not trusting in my church attendance. I'm not trusting even in my baptism. I'm putting all of my faith in who Jesus is and what he did on my behalf. Thank you for receiving me into your family. I accept your gift of eternal life in Jesus' name. Listen, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, if you're at some point of some kind of spiritual decision, 
I'd love for you to take a minute, even while we're singing here in a few minutes, fill out a connect card that's in the seat back near you. Just leave that in the offering box, or, or better yet, just come to me after the service. Uh, just uh, fit, let me know what that decision looked like. I'd love to have a minute to talk with you. Um, that'd be great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the invitation to call you Father and to relate to you as Father. Thank you that that's the level of intimacy that you've invited us to. Thank you that you've done everything necessary to pave the way for us to have that kind of relationship with you. God, we recognize this morning that there's some responsibility on us, kind of all centers around forgiveness. That when we come to you looking for intimacy, looking for a deep connection, and yet there's unforgiveness standing in the way, that that's as far as that's going to go. So God, I pray you'd give us clarity, courage, boldness to extend forgiveness. Sometimes that needs to be communicated with the person we're forgiving. Other times it's just something that needs to be between us and you. Give us wisdom to know that. And then where we need to be forgiven, where we need to live in and experience your forgiveness, help us to be honest with you about that. We thank you for the things you're teaching us. Thank you for the invitation to enter into this kind of relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.